within the hand of Jesus touched me and now I am no longer the same oh he touched me oh he touched me change the tempo just a little bit here. Let's sing that song, Come and Dine. So Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people, come and dine. And with his manna he defeats and supplies our every need. Oh, to seat us up with Jesus all the time. So come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. The disciples came to land, thus obeyed Christ the man. For the master called to them, oh, come and dine. There they found their heart's desire, bread and fish upon the fire. Thus he satisfies the hungry every time. So come and dine, the master called it, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water to the hungry call it now come and dine now soon the lamb will take his bride to be ever at his side all the host of heaven will assemble be holds will be a glorious sight all the saints in spotless white and with Jesus they will feast eternally so come and dine, the master called, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water. 
die Oh now come and dine The master called us come and dine Ye who feast at Jesus' table all the time Ye who fed the multitude He turned the water into wine To the hungry call it now Come and die Amen Let's sing that song um, Same key I will sing of the mercies of the Lord So I will sing Of the mercies of the Lord Forever I will sing Oh I will sing And I will sing Of the mercies of the Lord Forever I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Oh, and with my mouth shall I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness. With my mouth shall I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I will sing. Of the mercies of the Lord Forever I will sing Of the mercies of the Lord And I will sing Of the mercies of the Lord Forever I will sing Yes, I will sing And I will sing Of the mercies of the Lord Forever I will sing Of the mercies of the Lord change the order up again here this evening. We'll slow it down before we take our prayer requests. Um, Let's put it in the key of G and let's sing that song, Oh How He Loves You. Oh how He loves you and me and oh how He loves you
you would just continue to play that softly. I uh, just have a couple of prayer requests here, so I'll have you remain standing. Uh, we just want to continue to remember Brother Troy Hughes, who is uh, at home recovering from being in the hospital. Uh, but we just want to continue to remember him and Sister Connie as well. Um, also, uh, just a few prayer requests from my family as well. Uh, Ashley is at home sick, not really sure what's going on, but she hasn't been feeling good today. So uh, just pray for her. And uh, Dad is um, having to work this evening, and uh, he was called in to go ahead and get his load ready. So I uh, just remember him for safe traveling. And um, also, I just want to put a prayer request in for Megan's sister, uh, Lauren. So she got a good report on her last uh, doctor visit when she went for treatment. Uh, she did get a good report, but they're still going to continue with her chemo treatment. So just continue to remember her in prayer also. Uh, but that is all the prayer requests that I have here. Um, so, But I know we all have unspoken prayer requests and needs. So just by the lifting of your hand, the Lord knows that need. And if I could have uh, Brother Jason come up and pray over these prayer requests at this time. Aren't you glad he loves you? Amen. Let's bow our heads and enter into prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that you love us. Lord, we're so thankful for the testimony we've heard of this one, getting a good report of having to deal with this cancer, Lord. And Father, we do pray for her, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to undertake in this, this, this one, Lord, Father God. We're expecting to hear the report of all is clear, Lord. And that's what we've been praying for, and that's what we're believing for. And Lord, the different needs that have been read, Father, Brother Keith being on the road and bias father and his wife so these different ones father we just lift them up to you knowing that you're in full control and that you are more than willing to answer our prayers and different ones have raised their hands with different needs different desires on their heart lord i just ask you to come in a special way and lord i pray for our pastors he would come tonight and speak the word of life to our hearts lord that we just remove him out of the way lord use him as a vessel father to speak to us lord speak to us directly we ask lord jesus and for the remainder of the service, we ask that you just bless the song service, the songs that will be sung for your glory. In your name we pray, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. Uh, just a couple quick announcements here real quick, and we're going to sing just a quick congregational here. Uh, just remember, this Sunday uh, we have two services. So again, it is this Sunday that we have two services for the first month or the first Sunday of the month. We also have a youth event on Friday, June 9th, 13 and up at 6 p.m. Uh, but you need to RSVP with Sister Rachel Coffee to let her know that you're coming so that they can have the proper supplies that they need. So again, Friday, June 9th at 6 p.m., RSVP to Sister Rachel Coffee. Let's sing that song, same key, um, I Come to the Garden. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I Son of 
Oh 
switch it in the key of D. And at this time, if I could have the ushers come forward, we'll take up the tithes and offering real quick. Let's sing uh, that song, Surely the Presence, um, once we finish with this. If you would play it for me. Brother Andy, if you would pray of the tithes and offering. Just to sing this as Brother Barry comes this evening. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power. evening. Am I on there? I'm on. And uh, we welcome all of you to the house of the Lord tonight. Good to be here. Everybody who feels good to be here, say it's good to be here. God bless you. We missed all of you that were not here on this past weekend. And uh, it's an honor to be with you. And I appreciate you taking time. I know your days start early on Wednesday and going to start early tomorrow too. And uh, I appreciate you being here. And I want to give you the, uh, certainly want to give you your money's worth. I want to give you uh, maximum uh, amount of time in the, in the study of the word because I think that's important and uh, we certainly do want to give God the room tonight to say what he wants to say. One announcement before we pray and that is that we are thankful for Brother uh, Troy Hughes getting out today. Uh, it was just amazing that he brought him in in a, a pretty serious state. Uh, last week, Brother Troy had injured his arm. He was reaching and did something and in injured his shoulder. And as a result of the pain, he was taking a lot of extra uh, Advil, that kind of thing, Motrin. And when you have an ulcer and don't know it, taking extra pain relief medication like that can be really hard. And it aggravated that ulcer to the point where uh, it began to bleed. And uh, he was brought in a pretty serious shape, losing lots of blood. So they went in and found it. They did a procedure to secure it. And of course, then he, 
and give you a medication that's calcium based and uh, helps to shore that up so it doesn't bleed. So uh, they were wanting to see things stable. They became stable today, uh, this afternoon. So they said, hey, we're going to let you go home. So they're very thankful. Family's very thankful as well. And Brother Troy uh, was very happy to be able to uh, get back to his house again. So to me, that's an answer to prayer. And uh, we appreciate that. To me, healing comes from God. Doesn't matter how it comes. Healing comes from God. And we appreciate that. Heavenly Father, we are thankful indeed, Lord, that you are still alive. You hear our prayers, Lord, and you're one who attends to the needs of your people. From the earliest of times, Lord, you listened. You inclined your ear to the cry of the people of God. I believe you're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony of your brother Troy. And we pray now in the name of Jesus Christ that you will, uh, Lord, continue to give him strength and restore him, Lord, I pray. May, Father, you just uh, bring that healing virtue to him, Lord, as only you can. We love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity tonight to be able to come and study your word. And now, Lord, we just give it all to you and pray that you would speak to our hearts. And, Lord, you would just comfort us with your presence tonight. And no doubt, Lord, even though we have a list of requests, no doubt, Lord, there are many more that are unspoken. And things, Lord, that we struggle with or things that we need to choose. And Lord, we're asking that you would come, Lord, in the ministering of the word tonight to give us the wisdom that comes from above. And Lord, you would just give it liberally. We need you. We need your forgiveness. We need your love and mercy shown to us again and again, Lord. And we thank you for your mercies because they're new every day. Have your way now, we pray. In Jesus' lovely name, we ask these things. Amen. Hold it for one more song, girls. He has forgiven me. My sins have been washed from his men. Aren't you glad for that tonight? By the blood of the Forgiven me, he and my sins have been washed from his memory by the blood of the Lamb of the Lord. Let's take your Bibles tonight. While you're standing, we'll read the Word and then let you take your seats. We'll do a couple of more quick announcements here. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Thank you, musicians. Appreciate that. How good to having, good having brother and sister Buchanan with us tonight. Sister Buchanan, God bless you. Welcome aboard. And uh, good to have you with us tonight. Genesis chapter 50. We want to read verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, uh-oh. 
that's not in the Bible. But they said, uh-oh, because now Joseph peradventure will hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. It's get even time. That's what they thought. It's get even time. May God add his blessing. You may be seated tonight. <clears throat> Picture is worth a thousand words. I strongly recommend anyone over 15, 16 years old to come and be a part of financial peace. Uh, if you, I know it's summertime. There never is a good time anymore to schedule anything, so we just schedule it anyway. And uh, if you can make all of them, great. If you can make most of them, great. Uh, there's a, there are links now that we can make up uh, some of the classes if you're not there. But I strongly recommend uh, that you take part in this. A couple of quick things uh, <clears throat> in uh, mentioning Sister Buchanan over here. Uh, June 11th, we're having a fellowship dinner, and we're going to uh, welcome officially uh, Mitchell and Megan as a couple and our new couples here uh, in the church. And we're just excited for you being here. And so you will get a, an email from the deacon's wives, and they'll outline what we're uh, going to bring. Uh, I think, Brother Keith, I think we're going to do a smoking, and that's always exciting uh, when we do that. Sister, uh, Brother Jaron's grandmother, Sister Betty, passed away uh, on Memorial Day, and she was 92 years old, uh, was with her family. I was talking to uh, Jaron's dad, Brother Keith, and... Uh, uh, right after it happened, and uh, he said she just went so peacefully, and they were singing uh, choruses around her and so forth, and, and uh, just slipped away from her earthly home. And uh, so the funeral is going to be on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Viewing will be on the uh, Friday night there. And uh, Sister Brown, uh, it's, it's an era before most of you, uh, but Sister Becky was raised uh, with in, in fellowship with uh, her parents and, and brother and sister Brown, Homer Brown, uh, for years. And, and they traveled together. They uh, fellowshiped around different meetings, lots of, lots of time spent together. Sister Becky remembers her from a very young girl. And uh, she was certainly a Christian woman, and uh, it'll be a, certainly a loss to her family. So, Jaron, we sure will be holding you up in prayer and your dad and all of your family uh, together over the next uh, few days. Uh, Brother Precious uh, Makatanji in uh, Malawi, who you've not met, uh, is our key person in Malawi. He uh, uh, recently was in a head-on car collision. I believe I told you that, didn't I tell you that? I think I told you that. And uh, he was coming back from the border area, and a drunk driver swerved out uh, on his, in his lane and hit him head-on. Uh, and it was, he was not hurt, but he was uh, certainly shaken up in such a drastic accident. And uh, he uh, was recovering from that and going through all the things that they do. Now, in Malawi, just to give you an idea, uh, when they call the police after an accident over there, they have to wait until they can find a police car. There are so few police cars that they have to wait until the police can actually hitch a ride to the scene of the accident. So this investigation, insurance assessments, all of that takes a long, long time because things move pretty slowly over there. In the meantime, a couple of days ago, his mother passed away suddenly. Uh, he lost his father a number of years ago, and his mother uh, passed away uh, very suddenly. And uh, he said that 
uh, he was telling me a little bit about the funeral, and he said there were uh, thousands of people who had come from all around Malawi. And part of that, he said, uh, he said, I'm, I'm not a very well-known person, but he said because of all the material from vision books that had been given around in the country of Malawi, uh, he said the people wanted to show their thanks and respect for, for him, and they, they came from all parts of the country uh, to pay respects to his mother, and I thought that was really nice. They're embarking this week and Sunday, after Sunday service, they're embarking around the country again. They're going to be giving out 600,000 books that they've received uh, over there, we've had them printed, they're in their warehouse, and they're going to be traveling and, and uh, giving out uh, materials again, so they're pretty excited uh, for all of that. We, uh, we, cert- we are overdue in mentioning a few names here of people that have joined us in fellowship, and I want to officially uh, welcome the Britons tonight, and uh, they're, all, they're almost all here. Eli is doing a, a special test tomorrow, so he's not here tonight. But uh, by now, most of you know Samuel and Sister Nadia here, Brother Samuel, Sister Nadia, and uh, Mia, who's over here, and Eli is not here, uh, Leah, right? Leah, waves your, wave your hand back there. She's back there uh, with the crew. And uh, Noah, Noah, this is your moment. Raise your hand here, buddy. Until your birthday comes, this is your moment, so take advantage of it. So we welcome the Britons. May God bless you and appreciate you and appreciate your spirit of worship, uh, attitude of worship in the church. I I always love to see that. Uh, Now, I'm not sure. Did I officially welcome the hash browns? I didn't. We didn't do it. Sister Amy, I just want to say we're glad to have you back. The whole church is glad to have you back. Because Brother Jason was wandering around and just, you know, he had no food. It was just, you know, it was just, it was rough on us. So we want you to know you're a valuable member of our, of our church and glad to have you. Brother Jason, Sister Emmy, Sean, and Heidi. Heidi, wave your hand back there, back with the, with the group. And uh, may God bless you. We appreciate the Ashdowns. Now, we have the James here, but I'm going to hold on to James here, okay, because there's some info that I've got to find out. And uh, I didn't realize, but they slipped in on us uh, on Sunday, so we are just honored to have them, and we'll introduce them uh, on the weekend. Well, let's get down to it uh, this evening here. I want to continue our little study, and I hope you don't mind. I'm not trying to be like any other churches here, but I I do want to carry on with this subject here. Uh, And there's a lot of things that we could obviously cover in uh, in this screen, Uh, But we want to begin to talk a little bit about love and forgiveness and how important they are. Forgiveness is a a, a powerful thing. And I I just want to jump in here and see how far we can get tonight. And there are almost 100 references in the New Testament alone to the subject of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so it is an important thing to God. We've talked about it before. There are some subjects in, in Scripture that are worth visiting and revisiting because they never really grow old. They're timeless principles, we'd say. Uh, we, we can preach on them once and preach real good, but you'll find a couple of years later that people need it again. And there are certain topics that are worth covering and recovering, and this is one of them. So uh, we've talked about this before. I want to visit it again here tonight in a slightly little, uh, little bit of a different way. Brother Branham says that we <clears throat> are supposed to represent God and eternal life. 
The Christian, the Christian life, as a result of the new birth, expresses itself like any other seed. Would you agree? The Christian life, like any other life which comes from a seed, expresses itself. But we as, as converts, we need, to, we need to grow in grace and be instructed of the Lord in things that pertain to this life. And that's why God gives us ministry, right? That's why God gives us instruction in righteousness. Paul said uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, uh, I, I would that every one of you learn how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. There are some things that we're going to have to learn. There are things that we need to know where God has placed the boundaries. How far can I go? There are certain things that, uh, even though they're, uh, they're contained in, in the Christian experience, they need to be talked about because they need to be more than just learned. They need to be practiced. Now, in the, in the Jewish culture, their word, their word for experience means that you haven't really experienced something uh, till you've gone through it. Uh, you, can't really, you can't really say that you know something until you've gone through it, and then you've really experienced it. I remember, um, I remember one time, I think I might have mentioned this before, I remember one of my boys who got married and came back from his honeymoon. The day he returned, he called me up and said, Dad, just want you to know, if you have anyone in the church now that needs marriage counseling or help raising their children, he said, I'm here to help. Because we've been married a whole week. And I said, I will keep that in mind for sure. I'll keep that in mind. There are, uh, there are, uh, Billy Sunday said it this way, you can learn a whole lot more about dynamite by seeing one explosion than a library full of books on dynamite. When you experience an explosion, you know what dynamite really can do. You'll never be able to quite imagine that by just reading books. In the same way that it's not enough for us just to know. And you could easily misconstrue what I'm doing here in talking about this subject on adoption, that I'm trying to reform people. And that could be nothing but the absolute... Let me say it correctly. That's the farthest thing from the truth. Because we are not reformers. We're not living in a reformer's age. And you know what? I find it hard even to reform myself let alone everybody else with all your quirks and different problems and different family situations, uh, you're all as messed up as I am. And I find it hard to deal with me. Therefore, I've got to trust that the Holy Spirit will take his word and quicken it to your heart that you can apply it in your life the way he wants. And that's his job, not mine. My job is to give you the full counsel of God, to preach it when you want to hear it and when you don't. That's my job, and to do what God lays on my heart. Because we're not here to, you know, make friends, and, you know, it's not a, just a social event. We're here to get out of here. And we need to know what we need to know. We need to change what we need to change. We need to grow up. We need to practice these things that are uh, timeless principles. And we're, we, we need to do that because we are representatives of, 
of the kingdom of God and eternal life, as Brother Branham said. This is Brother Branham's last sermon on earth. And he said we're supposed to represent God and eternal life. Well, I want to be a good representative. And I want to know what he really thinks. I want to know what he really wants. I want to know not only that for my life, but I want to be able to share that. Because in terms of uh, having an approach to God, I want to be able to do that right. And I want to be able to tell you about it as well. And I want you in turn to be able to tell your children and grandchildren. Because without the right approach, without the right understanding of that, we're going to miss. We're going to miss things that God uh, doesn't want us to miss. So he said there's only one form of eternal life, and that's God. And we are products of his because we are genes of his spirit. Then we should conduct ourselves, women and men, like the Bible said for us to do. Christian gentlemen, sons and daughters of God, born of the Spirit of God, manifesting the light in our day and scattering it. That's our job, isn't it? The first paragraph is what God is and what God does. The second paragraph is ours. Then we should conduct ourselves like the Bible said for us to do. All right? This is one of those topics that we're going to learn what the Bible says so that we can reflect the kingdom of God. And I will tell you something that uh, when it comes to, uh, well, let's, let's carry on and, and let, I won't get ahead of myself. The world's dying, Brother Branham said, not for a better economics, but for, not for better buildings or a bigger denomination, but it's dying for somebody to reach out a hand of love to show that we care one for another. He said, that's the very sign that Jesus told us, by this all men would know that ye are my disciples when we have love one for another. The world's dying for that. The world's reaching out for that. I remember one time uh, there was a story told about a young boy who lived in uh, Madrid, Spain. And he was very upset with his father and uh, they had a falling out, real falling out. And he wound up leaving home and never had any contact with his, uh, with his family at all. I mean, it was a long time went, months and months and months went uh, before they had contact. And finally, uh, the father went down to the town square, this is years ago, went down to the town square and posted a sign on the, on the church door. They had a, a bulletin board, and they often, they often, you still often see that in European countries. And they had a big bulletin there with advertisements and signs there. And it just said, uh, Paulo, this is your father. And we forgive you, and we love you, and we want you to come home. Meet me here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock uh, at the steps of the church, and we'll talk about it. He went, he went that next night, 7 o'clock. There were 47 Paulos there. Because this is not an uncommon thing, that people want to have peace in their relationships. They want to have shalom in the home. Uh, they want to have harmony between one another. They certainly do. And Brother Bram said there's a, there's a need for that. There's a dearth for that. And to really express the love of God when there is conflict and to learn to forgive people, especially when we are the ones who are hurt, that's a real challenge for anyone, and it is the mark of a spiritual man. So let me tell you a story about Adolf Kors. And yes, that is the name of the beer family, the folks that make up, made all the beer. And they were involved in that for years and years, and they became extremely wealthy uh, over that time, the turn of the century. And in 1960, Adolf Kors' father, who was Adolf Kors III, was kidnapped for ransom money because people knew that uh, he was absolutely a very wealthy man. And so <clears throat> that, uh, the, uh, the, the father uh, was held ransom for about 35 days, and then eventually they found him on a hill, and he had been shot. 
And it was a real uh, big thing back then. It was in the news and, uh, because he was such a wealthy man and it was such a household name and so forth. And this, uh, this young man, Adolf Kors, he inherited, uh, he inherited the whole, the entire business. He was still a young man, but he inherited uh, the entire business. He was a couple of other brothers, but he was uh, one of the ones that inherited. And he, he felt so bitter and so much anger against the man who had uh, killed his father, whose name was Joseph Corbett. And uh, for years and years and ye- for years and years, he uh, held on to this anger and bitterness towards this man Corbett, who had shot his father just for the sake of the money. And uh, over time, Adolf Kors uh, came in contact with a Bible, began to read it, and was converted. And when he gave his heart to the Lord, he surrendered his stake in the family business and actually gave it all away. And the rest of his family took it and they ran with the business and so forth. And he divested any interest in the, in the Coors Corporation. And as a result of that, as he became a Christian, he began to grow. And, he, you know, he was attending church, got familiar with the Bible and so forth. But he still found that he never really uh, got to the height that he knew he could get to. He knew there was always something holding him back. And what he understood was, is that he still held uh, that bitterness and that hatred for that man that killed his father. And he realized, and God helped him to understand, that he was not ever going to progress in the faith until he dealt with that one issue. Now, there's one thing for sure, is that you're never going to hide a lack of forgiveness. You're never going to dress it up, make it look better, do it, you know, mask it in something, and just carry on. Some way or another, when, when this whole idea of forgiveness comes into play, God wants us to deal with it or it's going to stay with you for the rest of your life. It, it's that kind of an issue. There are some things you can, you can bury. There are some things you can ignore. But, but unforgiveness is not one of them. So the story says that the day came when Kors decided he needed to go to this man Corbett and ask forgiveness for the bitterness and hatred he had in his heart towards him. Now that's the right way to think about this. Because Corbett hadn't killed him, obviously, but he had caused him all this pain and anguish. So he wanted to go to this man to say to him, forgive me for holding that bitterness and hatred in my heart all of these years against you. Okay? And that's the right idea about forgiveness. So he went to the Colorado Cannon City Penitentiary and he tried to talk to him, but Corbett refused. And Kors left the Bible, left a Bible for him inscribed with this on it. I'm, I came here to see you today, and I'm sorry that we could not meet. As a Christian, I'm summoned by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to forgive. And I do forgive you, and I ask you to forgive me for the hatred I've held in my heart for you. And later, Kors confessed, I have a love for that man that only Jesus Christ could have put in my heart. I thought that was a great statement. I have a love for that man that only Jesus Christ could put in my heart. And let me tell you something. The poison of anger and unforgiveness and envy and all of those things in our hearts, they cloud our thinking and our reasoning so that we don't truly display the heart of God. When you have bitterness, you have a reason for that bitterness. I have never, ever met a person who is bitter who didn't have a good reason to be bitter. But when you, when you live in that bitterness, it clouds your reasoning and judgment to be able to reflect the heart of God. 
And that's the victory here, is that Kors came to the place where he realized, not only do I need to forgive him to go on, but that's only part of it. He, he went on to say, I love that man with a love that only Christ could put in my heart. You understand what he's doing? He's not only satisfying the requirement for him to forgive others so that God may forgive him, but now he's got this desire to reach that person. He's got a love for him. And that's the real essence of forgiveness. It is not just a singular thing. Now, in Mark chapter 11, Jesus says, uh, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe these things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. That's a great statement. And when ye stand praying, forgive. So this, verse 25, is connected with the preceding verses. When you stand praying, forgive if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Yes, it goes two ways. It is not just God forgiving me, it is God forgiving me, then in turn me forgiving others. And that's how this whole process works out. But if you do not forgive, it's amazing that these, if, we, if we just stopped up here in the first half of that screen, we, we would think, okay, I can just go stand and speak and say whatever I want and things are going to happen. But Jesus said, there is, a, there is a, a principle here that's at work and you need to pay attention to this. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So let me summarize this whole idea of forgiveness. Here's how it works. As a part of our personal experience, we know that God forgives our sins. How many believe that we're, we are forgiven of our sins? As far as the east is from the west, right? He removes our sins and our iniquities from us. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. And we, we, need, we need to make sure we have that, we believe that, and embrace that because it's very true. And we're not going anywhere unless that is true, Right? We have no communion if there's no forgiveness, right? Just like in the Old Testament, they had to sprinkle blood in order to approach the temple. There had to be blood, and then they had to approach the temple. It had to come first. So we don't have communion with God unless we have forgiveness. Everybody all right? The second thing is we must forgive one another. But the third thing is the most important, and it says number one depends on number two. This is not a play on words. It's the truth. So, Brother Branham says, and to whom shall we go? He said, men's just about like they were when they left God at the Garden of Eden and was left to shift for himself. He wants to make it himself and cover his own self and walk away contented, self-made content, contented, and he's making himself believe that he's contented when down in his soul he knows he's wrong. Unless you've, uh, unless you've uh, you know, confessed to God and been forgiven by God, you know what? You're just covering your tracks as you go along. Down in his soul, he knows he's wrong. But we've gotten really good at covering our tracks. In other words, we're good at self-justification, right? We justify everything. We have a reason for everything. And we have a defense, right? In our own minds, we have a defense. Everybody who, has, who uh, takes a position in an argument has a uh, a they have a reason. They have a, uh, you know, a, a thing that they identify as being absolutely right. And Brother, Brother Brown goes on to say, and he cannot no more save himself than he could take his bootstraps and jump to the moon. He cannot do it. 
So there's some things that God did not put within our power. This is one of them. He didn't ask you to die, so it's not your blood. You have no skin in this game, right? He did it. He kept that to himself. He's the only one who could have done it, and he did it. He has forgiven me. My sins have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so therefore, uh, this is something that man cannot do. He's got to surrender and come to God. He's got to come to the foot of the cross. That's the only way he can possibly achieve this forgiveness. So Paul says, let all bitterness... Say this word with me. All. You're getting really good at this. And I appreciate that. All bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. I imagine that slander would fall into the category of evil speaking. Ha, what do you, let's... Let's try a couple of other homin- or, uh, synonyms here. Help me out. Gossip? I mean, gossip would essentially be evil speaking, wouldn't it? Backbiting? Backstabbing? A good old southern bless her heart? I mean, but that, that's a different category, because that's kind of nice to do that. He said, let all of it be put away from you. With all, Sister Megan, that's southernese. So just, one day you'll be southern by the grace of God. So just hang on. Let that be put away. Let all of that be put away from you. And anger, clamor, and evil speaking. Talked a little bit about anger on Sunday morning. And he says, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for, for Christ's sake hath given, has forgiven you. As God has done this, so, so you should do to one another. And this is, in, this is in, in a sense, it's simple, but it's an embodiment or a, an, out, an outgrowth of the two great things that Jesus said were the most important commandments, right? And then he says in Hebrews chapter 12, looking diligently, lest any man face, fa- fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know what? That's a whole lot easier to read than it is to do. Let me give you one of the best examples I know of, of somebody who, who prevented a root of bitterness springing up and could have easily defiled a whole community of people. I thought this was, this was incredible. On Monday morning, October 2nd, 2006, and I remember this day very well because we uh, visited this area many times when we lived in Ohio. A gunman entered the one-room Amish school in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, in front of 25 horrified pupils, and 32-year-old Charles Roberts ordered the boys and teachers to leave. And after tying the legs of the 10 remaining girls, Roberts prepared to shoot them with an automatic rifle and 400 rounds he brought into the school. The oldest hostage was a 13-year-old girl, and she begged Roberts to shoot me first and let the little ones go, and he refused her offer. And he opened fire on all of them, killing five, leaving the others critically wounded. He then shot himself as police stormed the building. His motivation, I'm angry at God for taking my little daughter, he said. I mean, there's not many things that are more unimaginable than this kind of evil in the world. I mean, it was just an incredible, uh, incredibly dark day. And like I say, I remember it very well. Three weeks after the shooting, Amish forgiveness had appeared in 2,900 news stories worldwide 
and on a half million websites. That was the title of the story. Fresh from the funerals where they had buried their own children, grieving Amish families accounted for half of the 75 people who attended the killer's burial. Robert's widow was deeply moved by their presence as Amish families greeted her and her children. And the forgiveness went beyond talk and graveside presence. They also supported a fund for the shooter's family. You know what that is? I'll tell you what that is. That is Hebrews chapter 12 or Ephesians chapter 4. That's something that has to come very close to the love of God in their hearts for that person. I mean, that's just, that's just absolutely incredible to me. Jesus said, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies and do good to them that hate you. The churches you came out of, the family members that insulted you, the people who misjudged you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy cloak also. It's, it's, it comes down to a real practical application here of how this, how this, this action is carried out. And, and to me, it, it, it's not just a theory. This is what Jesus is telling us to do in relation to our enemies. Can I go a little further? This is the story of, of a very famous picture. And the picture is one that we've all seen. It's a, it was a Pulitzer Prize winning picture uh, from Vietnam. And let me just give you the background here. Now, napalm is the most terrible pain you can imagine, said Kim Phuc after the Vietnam War. In 1972, she was a nine-year-old who was critically burned by the chemical when her village, Trang Bang, was mistakenly bombed by the South Vietnamese uh, Air Force. And this photographer snapped that prize-winning photo, and she had torn off her burning clothes Fuchs survived despite her life-threatening injuries. So the picture was snapped after they were running away from the destruction. Now, I, I, I've heard the story of uh, how they make napalm and how really, essentially, it was a mistake. And it has affected people for generations uh, after its use in the, in the Vietnam War. But it was horribly destructive. And the gel that ignited would, would stick to people's skin and remain there. And there was no way they could get it off. And, and the wounds and the injuries were uh, very often uh, fatal, life-threatening. And they certainly stayed with them for a lifetime if they survived. This girl became a Canadian citizen. And she spent her time aiding other children, child victims of war through her nonprofit called the Kim Foundation International, which helps to heal the wounds suffered by innocent children in strife-ridden countries. So this is what she experienced when she was nine years old. That's the Vietnam Memorial there. But watch what she says. It also acts, that foundation also acts to restore hope and happiness to their lives by providing much needed medical and psychological assistance. And she is also an international speaker and a UNESCO goodwill ambassador for the culture of peace. Now here's what she, she quoted. Forgiveness made me free from hatred. It would be very easy for someone like her to hate the people who did this. But forgiveness 
robs, robs that spirit from taking hold. Real liberty comes when people forgive. Because if they don't forgive, something else takes hold. And when you forgive, you surrender your right to get even. That's when you know you're forgiven, when you surrender your right to get even. I'm going to let it go. I could, do, I could do things here, but I'm not. And forgiveness, she said, made me free from hatred. And I still have many scars on my body and severe pain most days. But my heart is cleansed. Napalm is, a very powerful, is very powerful, but faith, forgiveness, and love are much more powerful. And everybody said, Amen. I, don't, I mean, I doubt and I hope none of us would ever experience that level of pain and discomfort in our lives and through a, a, such a violent act of war. But I will tell you something, even in the worst of conditions, God has given us a remedy. And I got news for you. This woman is not in the message. Right? As far as I know, she's not in the message but she latched onto that principle that set her free. And once, once somebody really from their heart forgives, that spirit that would continue to easily make her hate no longer has a foothold in her life. May God have that kind of sway in our lives because we are people who believe we have the spirit of Christ and we have the word of God and we have teaching like this tonight that lets us know that no matter what your situation is, there's a God who's greater, there's a word that's greater and there's a promise that's greater than anything that you can face in your life. And if you let it, the wrong thing will take hold in your life through the pain you suffer. Jesus never, ever promised us a life without pain and without uh, injustice and without uh, criticism and without uh, misunderstanding. He never promised us a life like that. Matter of fact, he filled us with the Holy Spirit and put us back right in the middle of the life that we live in a world that's falling apart, in a, in a culture that uh, disregards the Bible and uh, disrespects the Word of God altogether and his principles. And God put us right back in the middle of that. But he never would have done that had he not given us what we need to overcome the world that we're living in. I said he never would have done that if we didn't have what we need to overcome the world we're living in. Because God never puts you in battles that you're not ready for. Absolutely not. Now, <clears throat> Brother Branham tells an interesting story. And uh, this, was in, uh, this was in Ohio. And uh, he, you remember he was uh, near Dayton and he was preaching up there somewhere. And there's lots of Amish and Mennonite people who live around Dayton in the southern part, uh, southwest corner of Ohio. And uh, they, they had a, a, a restaurant there that Brother Random used to frequent while he was there at the meetings. And because it was Sunday, uh, the, the restaurant was closed. And so he had to go to another restaurant across the road, and it was a, a much more liberal place. You remember? And they were inside there gambling, and there was state troopers in there. You remember the story? And... Uh, uh, he, he said there was, you know, women who were of ill fame in there and so forth and the waitress. And, uh, you know, he said it was just a bad vibe in there. And he was just going to get his food and go out. And then he, he said, uh, I just felt so convicted by uh, the people who were there. And he said, I thought, wow, you know, we in America, you know, Bible-believing culture, we should know better than that. And he, and he, wanted, to, he, he wanted to say something to the waitress who was there. It was an older woman. And she kind of propositioned him while he was sitting there waiting for his food. And he said, he said, I was ready to condemn her. And then he said, God gave me a vision. And in that vision, he said he saw the earth with a blood barrier around it. 
And he said there were sins that were going up and, uh, and uh, you know, trying to ascend into heaven and uh, the blood barrier stopped them. And Brother Branham looked at that and he said, oh, you know, he said how God must look at the earth. And then God spoke to him and said, these are not her sins, these are yours. And you can imagine the feeling that he would have had in, in, uh, in, in that moment of, of seeing his own sins and what Jesus had to do for him. So he goes to the woman and he sits down with her and he said, I stood here and condemned you and thought God ought to come and tear this place up with such things going on. But I've changed my mind. God forgave me and I want him to forgive you. And right there, I led her to Christ. He said, it's your attitude towards things. And don't condemn others. If they do wrong, do good to them anyhow. And just look over those things. God's had to look over a whole lot for you and I. Can I go a little further? Huh. Brother Branham comments on Paul's writing about Onesimus. And he says, he owed, hold on, he owed a great debt and Paul had been so in love with Christ that he sent word to the master that owned the slave. Onesimus had done a great service for Paul. He was running away from his master and buying and selling slaves and treating them like property. It was not uncommon back in that day. And this, uh, this uh, uh, person would have paid a lot of money. Philemon would have paid a lot of money here. And he says, now he has become a beloved brother and all that he has done and all that he owes you. Put it in my account and I'll pay you when I come by. So Paul is not asking uh, Philemon to bear the brunt of this. He said, you're going to get paid one way or another. I'm going to do it. He said, I'm just asking that you would for extend forgiveness to him for having committed the crime of running away from his master. And he said, Paul had been a Christian so long until he knew what it was to forgive and what it meant to forgive somebody. He had been forgiven himself. Paul had been a Christian so long until he knew what it was to forgive and what it meant to forgive somebody. My observation is a little bit different than this. I think what Brother Bram's saying is very true. That the longer we go on in Christ, the more quick we should be to apply these principles. Because you know what? There are consequences if you don't forgive. And the older you get, the realization sets in, <laughs> you may not be here tomorrow, bud. You better think about the fact that uh, if things are not right between you and somebody, you ought to go to them and get it done. Because the older you get, the more precarious it is as to whether you're going to blow out a bunch more birthday candles the next year. It seems like people, when they're new in the faith, they're willing to do, hey, Lord, show me, tell me. And if I need to make something right, I'll do it. And, and they're quick to do that. Life gets a little bit more complex as we get older. There's more rationale in the human mind. There's more reasoning in the human mind as we grow older. You know what? I'm fed up with these people. People in the church, they don't understand. They're always doing something, always criticizing me and so forth. I'm not. I'm, I'm just going to stay right here. And I'm just going to... they got to come to me. Because you know what? I've seen this for years and years and years, and I'm tired of it, and I'm just going to sit right here. And they got it all reasoned out. It is 
an inflexibility that comes so long with just living in this life. It's a way of thinking. Can I interrupt this quote and bring you a scripture? Take your Bible. Go to James chapter 3. James said this really good. James 3.13. When you have it, say amen. Let's try that again. When you have it, say amen. James 3.13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Now, we know conversa- the word conversation is not just words, right? Conversation means your manner of living. It means your affect. It means your facial expression, your words, your tone, your attitude, your spirit with which you say it. When you say to somebody, I forgive you. I forgive you only because the pastor said I had to. but let me put my dagger back in my pocket because I might need it later. Then you're only, you're, that's only mouthing the words. You're not really meaning that. When you, when you mean it, it's, it's a different thing. You have a different spirit about you altogether. So Paul is, uh, James is saying, let him show, let him show, not just say, but let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't exalt in your position. And lie not against the truth, because you can't have both, right? You can't have meekness of wisdom, found in 13, and you can't have bitter envying and strife at the same time. You can't have that. You can't hate somebody and pray for God's blessing on them at the same time. Can't do it, folks. This wisdom descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Have you ever noticed that this mindset is called wisdom? Look at what he says. This wisdom descendeth not from above. There's an earthly or natural or carnal wisdom, which is the rationalization. It is the logical way you're looking at it. And you know what? You got it figured out. You, in your mind, you got your ducks in a row, and you think you've got it pretty much figured out. That's normally how we would describe something like wisdom. And there's a wisdom that comes from above, and there's one that comes from below. 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above, hey, listen, it, both ways of thinking in the Bible here are called wisdom. It's a wise understanding of something. The difference is what fruits they bear. Your wisdom that comes from below or comes from the earth, which is sensual, you know what? If nothing changes, it's only going to make you more bitter and crusty and stiff-necked and critical as you go on. That's the fruits it's going to bear. But look at 17. Everybody with me? I'm not talking about you. You may know somebody who needs this verse. I'm not talking about you. 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first, pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. That means I should be able to go to you. And then next Sunday, not hear that you've just joined another church. Should I not have said that? 
When you're easy to be entreated, it means, you know what, we can sit down as brothers and sisters and we can talk about something and, hey, I can share what's on my heart, you can share what's on your heart, and you know what, we can get to the truth and we can get to maybe some sort of reconciliation here. We should be able to walk away and shake hands. We should be able to uh, wash their feet at, at foot washing. Let me read it again. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace, not war. So they're, they're both called wisdom, but one produces one thing and the other produces another thing. Completely different. And this one, the earthly wisdom will produce a root of bitterness, a bitter, crusty, stubborn, critical person. And the other one will uh, produce a person who's easy to be entreated. You know what? We can talk to them. They're peaceable, gentle, full of mercy, good fruits. And they don't say, bless his heart, and then chew your head off. Sorry, should I? I should be more cultured in the way I say it. I don't want you to misunderstand. All right, let's go back to the quote. Paul had been a Christian so long, he knew what it was to forgive and what it meant to forgive somebody. And he'd been forgiven himself. And I think every Christian that's really been forgiven knows the appreciations of forgiveness. We know the value of forgiveness, right? If you've been forgiven of your sins, I only need to go back and look at my pictures that I have in my office, my scrapbook, which really came from the scrap heap of life. I only need to go back and look at a couple of pictures and realize how much God has forgiven me. You know what? It would, I mean, it would be common sense for me to forgive everyone for whatever they've done in the future. Because you know what? He's forgiven me of an awful lot. You will never do to me as much as what I did to him. And so therefore, you're not going to out-trump me and what God forgave me for. Sorry. You're just not. Brother Branham says, there's an hour through the day. There isn't an hour through the day, but something we do wrong. We make mistakes constantly. In other words, that's what he's describing. We're constantly making mistakes. And if Paul had to die daily, how much more will we have to die daily? And I think a person that has done something wrong is willing to make it right. The real Christian attitude is to forgive that person. The real Christian attitude is to forgive that person. Why are you here, Brother Barry? I'm here because it's one of the seven things in the list about what adoption should teach us. If we're learning to do things like the Father did, and we want him to say, well done, you did it just like Father God. I find that when Jesus came to the earth and everybody around him was a sinner, they were born of a sinful nature and nothing had changed. They might have been good legalists, they might have been good churchgoers, temple goers, but there were no, listen, there were no born again people in Jesus' day. And he still went to the cross. Even the people who accompanied him to the garden and watched him pray and agonize over this whole event that was about to unfold, they never even knew or understood. They were sinners themselves. And yet Christ's attitude was to forgive that person and die. Even on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. The Christian attitude. And if that's who we are 
as Christians, my goodness, we should forgive one another. Quick to forgive one another. There's where I think church people miss it so much. Instead of trying to raise a person back up again, just to keep them, shoving them down further. When we were lowest, he stooped and picked us up. We ought to have that kind of spirit too. Can I interrupt that and bring you to another scripture? Genesis chapter 50. Genesis, the 50th chapter, which was our text. Now this is an interesting reading here. Because it shows that even though these brothers of Joseph were spared, and I mean spared in a very gracious way, didn't change them. Didn't change their nature at all. The scene is, is that Jacob dies. And they brought him back to the land, specifically brought him back to where his grandfather and grandmother were buried, Abraham and Sarah. And he was buried in that field because that's, they knew the resurrection would take place there. And so when Joseph comes back, they normally go through a period of mourning because of the loss of somebody. That's the normal course of events. And it says in verse 14 that Joseph took the family took everybody, the entourage, went and buried their father, and then returned. 15. When Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, "Uh uh-oh. They said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we had done, which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph. They're afraid to go to Joseph now. They sent a messenger And they said, thy father did command before he died. Pause. None of this is true. None of this is true. They're saying this to Joseph. (laughs) Because they're they're afraid they're going to lose their heads. This isn't true at all. They're, They're sent a note back by messenger. I guess it was instant messenger. So shall ye say unto Joseph... Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did, uh, they did speak evil, speak unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of thy servants, uh, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto them. Now this doesn't even make sense. Why would Jacob tell the brothers to tell Joseph when Jacob died what Jacob needs to do to his brothers? Why wouldn't Jacob tell it Joseph? I'm sorry. If Jacob wanted this done, why wouldn't he have not told Joseph? But they're saying, Jacob told us that when he died, we're to tell you what he wanted to tell you. And you know what? We're appealing to the God of your father. The God of your father would want this. So in other words, if you lay a hand on us, you got to answer to God. Well, that's going to stop any, any nominal prophet in their tracks, right? None of this makes sense. None of it is true. It shows that these brothers are basically still the same people. You know why? Because they're not born again just because they got grain on their table. Are we okay? 
Joseph's reaction to this, though, now let me insert a little something in here. I'd like to say, if anyone had a right to get even, it would have to be Joseph. I mean, they did him in, right? They did a number on him. They, they messed with his life, big time. And, and they, I mean, he was jailed a long time, and in slavery a long time, for doing no wrong. He stayed in the will of God the whole time and did no wrong. And if anybody had a right to get even, if anybody had a right to extract vengeance out of family members, it definitely would have been Joseph. But Joseph's got something. Joseph's got something. And when he hears that, it dawns on him. This is what they're thinking. And this is what they've been thinking. Since since I took the mask off, this is what they've been thinking. He's been good to us, but only as a front because Father's around. And when we remove the authority of the Father, then you know what? The one who's the, in the position of authority now, he's got a free reign to do what he wants because he doesn't have Father to answer to. And, and it dawns on Joseph, my goodness, this is what they've been thinking all those years. In a sense, they've probably been hoping that I'd die before Jacob. Or somehow or another, God would send us back to Israel and we'd all live happily ever after. It dawns on him that this is the way they're actually thinking. That the moment Jacob dies and mourning is over, I'm going to slap these guys with fines, put them in jail, extract vengeance. I, I mean... And, and it says in 18, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face. Again. <laughs> Remember what the prophecy was all the, all the years back, right? When they would fall down in front of Joseph. And here they're doing it again. Now you got to wonder why they're doing it this time. Because they're not looking for grain. But Joseph's in tears. He's obviously upset. They must think, wow, we really better get down this time, guys. But none of this that happened in verse 17 is true. There's no record at all of Jacob telling the brothers what to tell Joseph when he dies so that Joseph will know what to do with his brothers afterwards. None of this is true. The history and the, the writing of the scripture does not indicate that this is true at all. And 19, watch now. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. That word nourish means comfort. I'll come alongside you and I will put my arm around you. That's what that means. I will not only care for you, but I'll advocate for you. You'll always be my brothers. You'll always be my family. And I'll stand with you. Nothing can change that. And you know what? The time of betrayal and bitterness, all of that has passed. You can see, you can see by what God's done. You meant it for evil. You did something way back there and you meant it for evil. But you know what? God actually took that and used that and turned it into Romans 8.28 long before it was ever written. That all things work together for good to them that... Love God. 
And even if you didn't really have a right love for God, God took all of that together because that was his program. That was his will. And you and I were both part of that. So you know what? Yeah, this wasn't great. And it wasn't easy. And you're right. I do have, <laughs> I do have a, a, a reason to get even with you. But I forfeited that a long time ago because I know, I know God's in control of this whole thing. And you know what? I'm not God. And vengeance is mine, saith the church. Ah, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So he says, I'm not God and I'm not going to play God. I'm not going to judge you and I'm not going to make life miserable for you. Because I'm not going to render evil for evil, but rather I'm going to render good for evil. And I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. So in other words, hey, bring the kids in. Come on, let's, let's, just, let's, just, uh, uh, let's just get together here. And we have a lot to be thankful for. You know what? We're all alive. We're all alive tonight because of God's grace. And when I think about God's grace to this family, this is just as Joseph talking, when I think about God's grace to this family and what could have happened to us and where we could have been tonight, you know what? It's just the mercies of God. And God has shown us great mercy. And God has forgiven you. And God has forgiven me. And here we all are now. Look at, the, look at the surroundings that we have. Look at the house that we have. And the prosperity that we have. And all the things we've enjoyed here. Because we're good? No. But because God chose us. We are, we are the sons of Abraham. And, and, and for some reason we're in that family tree. And God has blessed us. And why should we strive? And why should we hate? And why should we struggle against one another? And why should we try to bury one another? And why should we assume wrong things about one another when God has shown us such great mercy? Don't think like that. Don't think like that. Don't, don't go there. Don't, don't let your mind go there. Because if you don't get it right, you'll get it wrong. You, you'll start letting the wrong things creep in and it'll begin to mark you and taint you and everything you say and everything you'll do will be painted or looked at through those sunglasses that are a different color. Joseph is saying, look around you and look what God has done. And he says, why should I not then extend kindness and embrace you and your children? We're family. That's what families do. They forget and they move on. They learn to resolve, resolve things. They learn to make things right and move on. And you know what? Churches are families. And we as a church, we, we, we are not immune from differences and difficulties. We should learn to forgive and move on. We should learn to forget and move on. Because if you're not thinking the right thing, you're going to be thinking the wrong thing. And you begin to get clicky and this group over here and we're the right ones. And everyone who, who is in a click feels the right Everyone is in a click feels like, oh yeah, we're the chosen ones, right? Take what I just said and apply it to the church and say, look around. Look what God has done. Not because of your conduct, really? Not because of your conduct has God blessed us or chosen us. Not because of the size of our church and not because of the, uh, the, our great scholarly wisdom. That's not why God has blessed us. Look at, look at yourselves in the mirror. Look at where you've come from. We've all come from, uh, you know, different places in the earth and some of you from the gutter uh, of immorality in this world and from other churches and other places and, you know, you all have a history, you all have a story to tell. Do we want to go back in our backgrounds for a minute and begin to think about where we've come from? Or let me say it this way, where would you be today but for the grace of God? Where in the world would you stand tonight if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ? And you know what? You didn't deserve that. You didn't even ask for that. But while you were sinners, he yet died for you. 
I say, why should we hold uh, hard feelings and bitter thoughts against one another? I think we should be quick to forgive. We should be a forgiving society. We should be a people who are quick to let it go and say, hey, well, you know, I mean, if we're talking about something that affects the whole church and, you know, the pastors get involved in all that kind of stuff, we want to make it right. But you know what? We want to make it right to the point where we move on, not to where we stop. Because the devil, his primary focus is to try to push the poison of anger and malice and, and uh, di disappointment and bitterness and all of that to affect your reasoning so that you do not display the heart of God. And the place where we should most display the heart of God is in our families and in this family right here underneath this roof. You want to figure out what adoption should teach us? Adoption should teach us something like that. Let's stand to our feet. My goodness. That's only a portion of that whole idea on forgiveness. That's only a, a bit of it. But you know, God wants to do great things for us. God wants to do, God wants to do things with our musicians. God wants to do things in your heart. And God wants to help, help you learn how to let things go. He certainly does. And it's like, like David asked, if thou, Lord, should mark iniquities. If you're, if you're keeping score on iniquities, who shall stand? I mean, after today, if God's keeping score... How'd you do? But there is forgiveness with thee. There is forgiveness with thee. That thou mayest be feared. That thou mayest be respected and loved. We don't want to violate his principles. We don't want to have God to say, I'm going to withdraw the forgiveness because you failed to forgive someone else. Adoption should teach us that. That's all I'm saying. I know that's not for you, but you may know somebody who may need to hear this. Tell them. That with God there is forgiveness. Tell, tell people that with God there's forgiveness. And we should be forgivers. Let's sing what we started with, this service with, or with my part. He has forgiven me. I want you just to put yourself here in this song now. I hope it means just a little bit more to you now. He has forgiven. sins from his memory by the blood of Calvary he has forgiven me again now he has From his memory By the blood of the Lamb of Calvary He has forgiven me How about this? Be glorified 
spoken to your heart tonight and sometimes we just want to ask him Lord give me the courage to forgive and let go what I need to let go sometimes that's what we need we know what we need to do Heavenly Father you see the hands that are raised Lord and this subject touches every single one of us this subject Lord is real it's a real thing some way or another 
can't do this just talking to you. Some way or another, we have to communicate with people that have offended us, make things right, and let go of the spirit that would try to cloud our judgment and prevent us from displaying the heart of God. And Lord, this is truly an important thing for you because it's tied to the sacrifice you made at Calvary. Father, may we have a heart full of forgiveness. May we have our finger on the trigger of forgiveness all the time. So we'd be quick to react. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you forgave us. Now may we in turn do what we need to do. Adoption teaches us that. Have your way, Lord, in every heart. Search us, know us, teach us, and give us the courage to make things right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Play the first line again. What concerns me today? 